So we're going to talk about the Trinity this morning. Three persons and one holy God. Did you know that every cult in the world, every one of them, denies the Holy Trinity? And they usually do it, as I said, by denying the fact that Jesus was God. Any religion, any cult that denies that Jesus is the Son of God is false. And there are a lot of them out there. And if they deny that Jesus is fully God, then they basically are denying the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. But they're all co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent parts of the one true God with singleness of mind and singleness of purpose to save us, to save sinful man. Welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. It is our hope that this message will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. And our title today is The Trinity, Three in One. We just sang about it as we sang holy, holy, holy God in three persons. And that's a foundational doctrine of Christianity is the Trinity. You know, this is not in my notes, but in the first verse of Genesis, it says there that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, the word God there is translated from Hebrew Elohim with an I am on the end. We sang about in that song just a minute ago, cherubim and seraphim. The I am on the end, that's plural. So that's a plural God there with a singular verb. God, Elohim, created. So that kind of gives you an idea of the, the, the triune nature of God right there in the first verse of the Bible. So we're going to talk about the Trinity this morning. Three persons in one holy God. You know, Sears, Roebuck, and Company is probably, I know for a fact, it the, was the largest retailer in the history of the world. It was formed in 1892 by a man named Richard Sears and Alva Roebuck as a mail-order company back in 1892. And it, it began to grow. They began to open brick-and-mortar buildings all over the country. And by the time 1969 rolled around, they were the largest retailer ever in the history of the world. It had 350,000 employees. And it was at that time that they decided they wanted to get most of their employees into one building in the west side of Chicago. So they began construction on what would become the Sears Tower in 1971. They began to work on that tower, and by 1973, in May of 1973, they had it completed. And it was the tallest building in the world at that time, 110 stories tall. And it kept that title as the tallest building in the world up until 25 years later when one in Malaysia was built that was a little taller. But the Sears Tower maintained its spot as the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere on this side of the globe until the World Trade Center was rebuilt and finished in 2013. It went by the name Sears Tower up until 2009 when a British uh, insurance holding company named the Wilson Willis Group bought it out or leased it out. And as part of that lease agreement, they had the naming rights to the building. So they renamed it to the Willis Tower in Chicago. Tallest building there in that town. And it's one of the most 
popular tourist attractions in the city of Chicago. 1.7 million people visit there to Willis Tower every year. And what draws them there is that glass sky deck, 103 stories up, glass floored sky deck where people can walk out over the ledge and look down at the street below and look at the skyline of Chicago as they stand there over nothing but glass. In uh, June of 2019, the visitors had a scare. As they stood out there on that June day, the glass covering, the covering over that glass floor began to crack and shatter. Now the company was quick to say that nobody was hurt. But there are a lot of hurt feelings, a lot of scared folks. In fact, one bystander took his phone out and videoed a lady with three small kids standing there, terrified, petrified, pale, as the floor beneath her began to crack and shatter. Afterward, a spokesperson said that uh, when, the, when the man posted the video online, he said, understandably, people really just don't want to come out there on the sky deck right now. And I can understand that. I can't blame them. I, I don't know that I'd want to walk out on it even if it had never cracked before in its life, in its history, but uh, that's just me. I don't like being up that high. It's a scary thought. When it comes to the, the thought of the Holy Trinity, sometimes we kind of look at it that way. We're scared to go out on that ledge and talk about it because it's hard for us to comprehend. One God in three persons, and it can be difficult for us to wrap our minds around and fully understand it. And I've got to admit to you, I don't fully understand it all either. In the same way that I, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around hundreds of thousands of people right now this morning in churches around the world praying to God at the same time. Yet he hears them all. He answers them all. And so we just have to take it on faith. I don't fully understand it, but I don't fully understand electricity either. But that doesn't mean I'm going to sit in a dark room and not flip the light switch on. I know it exists because I can see it work. In the same way we know the Trinity exists because we can see it at work in the lives of people in the Bible and in their lives. And we can see the three persons of the Trinity at work in our own lives. And so we need to know about it. We need to understand it as best we can because there are a lot of false religions out there that are going door to door denying the deity of Christ, denying the Trinity. Did you know that every cult in the world, every one of them, denies the Holy Trinity? Every one. And they usually do it, as I said, by denying the fact that Jesus was God or that He's God's Son. They deny His deity. The Apostle John wrote in, in, in one of his letters in the first century about this, warning Christians about this. Listen to what John said in 1 John chapter 2. He said, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. And in verse 22 of 1 John chapter 2, he says, goes on to say, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. 
Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And that's how these religious cults out there deny the Trinity. They deny that Jesus was fully God. And they deny that he was God in the flesh. They'll say, well, we agree with you that Jesus was a, a good man and a prophet that walked the earth. But they deny that he was God. Or they'll say, we agree with you that Jesus is a God, a little g God. But they'll say he's not almighty God. And that's a lie. That's a bold-faced lie. Listen to Isaiah chapter 9. It's a common verse, chapter 9 and verse 6. We use it at Christmas time so often. But Isaiah wrote this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit 700 years before Christ was even born. And listen to what God said through the prophet Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 700 years before Christ was born. And Isaiah knew and wrote through the prophet Isaiah, God spoke and said that Jesus would be mighty God. He would be everlasting Father. Speaking of His deity there. Jesus said of Himself in John 10 and verse 30, I and the Father are one. And John said in the open verse, verses of, opening verses of his gospel in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of that same chapter, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Speaking of the deity of Christ. And I can remember when I was in school at State, there was a man one time preaching on the, on the side of the sidewalk there, and he was dressed to the nines, and he spoke eloquently. And a crowd of people gathered around him, and he was really laying it down. But he didn't speak of Jesus. After a crowd of us had gathered, some started hollering out, well, what do you say about Jesus Christ? And he ignored the, the question. He kept on preaching. Somebody said, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And he ignored them again. You see, he was a false teacher because he was denying the fact that Christ is God. Any religion, any cult that denies that Jesus is the Son of God is false. And there are a lot of them out there. And if they deny that Jesus is fully God, then they basically are denying the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And the word Trinity is not ever found in the Bible anywhere, but the concept is there. The thought is there. Let me give you some scriptures to back that up. Matthew chapter 3 was when Jesus came down to be baptized of John in the Jordan River. In Matthew 3 and verse 16, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on Him. And a voice from heaven said, This is My Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Jesus is standing there in the water. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon Him, and the voice of God from heaven speaks. That's the Son and the Spirit and the Father all right there evident in those few verses. Here's another verse for you. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6. It says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. There's the Father and the Son in that one verse. 
Jesus is speaking Himself in these next two verses. John 14 and verse 26. Jesus Himself is speaking here and He says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. We see the Holy Spirit. He speaks of the Father. and Jesus Himself is saying that. John 15 and verse 26. When the Advocate comes, whom I, who, on whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify, testify about me. We see the Spirit and the Father and the Son all in that one verse. There's one God revealed to us in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Spirit. But they're all co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent parts of the one true God with singleness of mind and singleness of purpose. And that's to save us, to save sinful man. Some describe the Trinity in this way. One in essence, three in person. And so we saw in that first verse of Genesis we read, Elohim, plural, created the earth triune God. And so as we look into this passage from Ephesians 1 this morning, I want us to see how each of these three persons of the Godhead are involved in the salvation of man. Now let's read together Ephesians 1. We're going to start at verse 3 and go through verse 14. Paul writes here, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Lord, as we look into the triune nature of, of the one true God, Lord, as we look into the Holy Trinity, Lord, help us to, to see you're working in, in all of these in the salvation of our souls. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. As we think about God in three persons, one God exhibited in three persons, I want to show you here in this passage we read how each of those three persons is involved in, the, in this bringing us to salvation. Number one, God the Father. He planned our salvation. He planned it. God the Father planned it. Your salvation, my salvation, whosoever will come, their salvation was planned by God the Father. Look there again there in uh, verse uh, 3 and 4. It says, Praise to 
be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In verse 5, He mentions there, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ. Verse 11, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity. God the Father chose us before the creation of anything. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Now that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. As I said earlier, but it's hard for me to understand how a holy God can can hear thousands upon thousands of people's prayers at one time and answer them all. But God does it. He chose us. He selected us. He predestined us to be saved before creation. And that's a heavy thing to think about. You know, Charles Spurgeon was quoted as saying one time, it's a good thing God chose me before I was born. Because if he'd waited till after I was born, he may have made a different choice. And I think we can all share that same sentiment. Once we're born, we begin to sin and we, we fail God time and time again. And so I can see where Spurgeon's coming from there. When we talk about God choosing us, when we talk about being predestined, what does that mean? Does it mean that I'm going to heaven and he's chosen somebody else to go to hell? No. It's not what it means. First Peter, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you. Watch this. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. He planned for everybody to be saved. Here's another verse that, that speaks to that same thing. First Peter, 1 Timothy excuse me, chapter 2 and verse 4. It says that God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And why is that? Why does He want us, why did He plan for us to be saved? Why, did he, why does He want us to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved? It's because He loves us. Look at verse first part of uh, verse 5 there. It says, In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with His pleasure and will. It was His pleasure, it was His will in love for us to be brought into the family of God. He made a way for that. He laid that plan down before the beginning of time. And you know, when you think about sometimes somebody doing something for you, you realize how much planning went into it beforehand. You realize how much they care about you. I can remember when I was about to turn 40 some years back and Renee had this 40th birthday trip planned out for me that I didn't have any clue about. She made all the arrangements. She bought all the tickets. And she did that months in advance, and I had no clue. And so the day that we were to leave, I thought we were going to a doctor's appointment. Till we pull into the train station, and I said, what are you doing stopping here? She hands me a card and just smiles, and I open it up, and there's train tickets in there. She had all planned out, and I thought to myself, why? After it took a minute for me to kind of sink in, my skull's kind of thick. But I began to realize, wow, she loves me that much that she's planned all this out. She had the suitcases packed and in the vehicle. I had no clue. But I thought, how much she cares about me to do all that and make all those plans ahead of time. Well, God loves us even more greatly than that. Much greater than that. Because He planned for us to be saved before the beginning of time. And we sing about God's love. We sing that hymn. I listened to it this morning. The love of God is greater far than pen or tongue could ever tell. 
It reaches to the highest star and down to the lowest hell. That's how great God's love is for us that he planned before we were even thought about. He was thinking about us. And he made a way for us to be saved through faith in his son Jesus. That brings us to the second point. The second person of the Godhead. Jesus the son. God the father planned our salvation. God the son Jesus Christ purchased our salvation. He purchased it. Look again with me in verse 7. It speaks of Jesus in verse 7. It says in him speaking of Jesus we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him, in Christ, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Jesus Christ purchased our salvation. It's his blood. By his blood we were redeemed. He suffered and bled and died on that cross at Calvary and purchased our salvation with his blood. But he didn't stay in that tomb. He came out the third day defeating death and the grave and sin. And if we say yes to him in faith, then we can be saved through God the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's not that he did it unwillingly. It's not that God the Father drug him to that cross unwillingly. He did it out of love, willingly, for you and me. Remember the Trinity is one essence, one purpose, exhibited in three persons. They don't pull in different directions. They pull the same direction because they're one God, one purpose. Later on in his letter, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul reminds us of this. reminds us of the fact that Jesus uh, nourishes the church, loved the church, gave himself up for you and me. In Ephesians 5 and verse 20, 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's God the Son. Jesus Christ did that for us. He purchased our salvation with his blood. You know, the Bible says the shedding of blood is required for remission of sins. And that's what Jesus did. When we come to know Christ, that's our atonement day. The day we are atoned, we are forgiven for our sins when we come to know Him and accept Him as Lord. Back in the Old Testament when the atonement day was occurred each year, they would take two goats. The high priest would take two goats and they would cast lots. And the, the lot that fell on the one goat, that would be the goat that would be sacrificed and the blood would be spilled and it would be sprinkled on the mercy seat. The other goat, the, the priest would lay his hands on the head of that goat and he would confess the sins of the nation, sins of the people. And that goat was the scapegoat. And it would be led out into the wilderness and let go, never to be seen again. And that's a picture of what Jesus does for us. God the Son, He gave His own life for us on the cross. He, he willingly gave it. And He shed His own blood. And that scapegoat is the, is the thought of when we are saved, we're under the blood of Jesus, our sins are put as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. God forgets them. He never sees them anymore. All He sees is the blood of Jesus covering us in Jesus' righteousness. That's a picture of our atonement. 
Jesus did that for us once for all. That's not to be done every year. Hebrews 10 and verse 10 says, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so not only does the blood of Jesus cleanse us from sins once for all, but it also it puts our sins as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered again. And we sing that hymn about Jesus, man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a savior. That's God the son. We're talking about the role of the Trinity in our salvation. We've looked at what God the Father does. He plans our salvation. He planned it before the beginning of the world, before the beginning of time. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, purchased our salvation with His own blood, willingly, out of love. Now let's look at the third person of the Holy Trinity, God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's job to preserve our salvation. He preserves it. Look again at verse 13 and 14 there of our text. It says there in Ephesians 1 and verse 13. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He says we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, preserved. Some of you may still do this. I can remember my grandmother when I was little taking figs and pears, making fig preserves and pear preserves. She would take those mason jars and those lids and those rings and she would heat the jars up and heat the rings up and the lids. She would put the figs and the pears in the jar and she would put the lid on and screw it down a little bit and then we'd sit and wait. As those seals would start sealing, you'd hear the little beep, beep of the metal jar lids pinging down as they sealed. Now some of them wouldn't seal. The ones that didn't seal were no good. They wouldn't keep. But the ones that were sealed were guaranteed to keep. She'd place them in that pantry. And so the promise was there that when we got ready to reach and get those out, it'd be preserved and we'd, it'd be there for us. And that's the way it is. That's kind of a poor illustration, but that's the way I thought about it this week as I thought about the Holy Spirit of God sealing us, preserving us, guaranteeing that when God reaches and calls us home, we'll be there. Our salvation will be preserved by the Holy Spirit. You know, the Scripture says, when we come to Jesus by faith, we're sealed. Our salvation is preserved by the Holy Spirit. He comes to live within us. It's a permanent seal. It's a, a seal guaranteeing our inheritance. And it says it's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption, like I said, until God reaches and calls us home, either through the rapture or, or through the grave, through death. We'll be sealed. We'll be preserved by the Holy Spirit. What a blessed assurance it is to know that God the Father planned our salvation from the beginning of time. He had you and me in His mind before the world ever began. And what a blessed assurance it is to know that God the Son, Jesus Christ, purchased our salvation with His blood. And what a joy it is to know that God the Holy Spirit preserves our salvation by sealing us permanently, guaranteeing our inheritance. If you don't know the Lord this morning, He's made a way for you to know Him. He's made a way for you. He's planned for you 
back before you're even born to come to Him. Would you do that this morning if you're not already? And maybe you are His. Maybe you've been sealed with that Holy Spirit, but sin in your life and different things and circumstances in life have made you forget some of these truths. God wanted me to remind you of those this morning. Remind you that you've been sealed permanently so that when God calls you home, you'll be in Him. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for Your love and for the fact that You loved us so much that before You ever flung a star in space, that You had made a plan, You had made a way through Your Son to save us through His blood. And Father, we praise You for the Holy Spirit that comes and guarantees our inheritance, guarantees our salvation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we praise You for all that You do for us. Lord, help us to remember that as we go out this week and share the news with others. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.